Thank you that you're here with us today. Uh, thank you, uh, like Crystal reminded us before, that uh, you stand by your people, uh, ready to hear our cry, um, yeah, caring for us, watching over us, uh, in, a, in a way much better than any parent watches over their kid. As a parent, I thank you for that. Uh, uh, Lord, you are so good to us. We pray, Lord, that today, as we as we look at this song from Mary, that you would uh, open us to your goodness, you would show us your grace, your greatness, and your glory, uh, and that we would just love you the more. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so today uh, is the first week in our Christmas series, as I mentioned. Um, but uh, it's going to be happening here in four parts across December uh, with that final climactic one on the Christmas Eve service. Uh, our, our series is called, as you may have guessed, The Christmas Playlist. Uh, so I, I wonder, though, before we, before we look at this specific playlist, are you personally into Christian, uh, Christian Christmas music? Yes. Yes. There's a few yeses. Uh, quite a few waved hands there. You know, it, it, it's funny, Christmas has had so long to develop uh, that that Christmas music means very different things to different people. For some, when I say Christmas music, uh, you might be thinking of, say, the sort of stuff we've been singing this morning, traditional Christian Christmas songs, your heart the herald angels sings and your joy to the world sort of things. Oh, holy night, if you will. In fact, that was the, the, the one submission to our, our question on Facebook this week of what's your favourite Christmas song. Uh, some of us just can't wait to crack them out each year. Uh, I've, I've already kind of flown my colours there already in this service. If, if this is you, you, you know who we are. Uh, you, you know who you are. Uh, secretly pumping it through the headphones or behind closed doors for, for potentially months beforehand. Uh, before we get to, say, the 1st of December, which is when it becomes magically socially appropriate to, to play your Christmas music and not be judged for that. Uh, for some, Christmas music means something else altogether. It, it might mean Mariah Carey uh, or Michael Bublé. Uh, I got Chris, Christmas card last year that had a, it's time to crack out the Christmas warble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. But um, it, come, it comes, incidentally, with exactly the same obsessive fascination, usually. Uh, with that variety of Christian uh, Christmas music. Uh, it's a crazy thing that when we talk about Christmas music, you can take two songs that have absolutely nothing in common whatsoever, you know, style, genre, content, anything. Uh, you, can, you can take them and, and say, well, these are both Christmas music. <laughs> you can take one song that's about a, a baby Jesus being born and another that's about a fat guy in a red suit who is watching you sleep and checking up on you, uh, on your every move, by the way. I always found that really terrifying, personally. Uh, and, and they're both Christmas music. Uh, it's, it's a little bit crazy. Different things attract us, in fact, to different Christmas songs. Uh, sometimes we just love the tune. Sometimes the depth of the words, the beauty of the voice, singing is what attracts us. Uh, or occasionally just the evident madness of the lyrics. Uh, my favourite example there being... Uh, a little song that you may know called The Little Drummer Boy. Everyone heard of The Little Drummer Boy? Yeah. It's a delightful little tune. It's madness. Uh, 
madness personified that song. It was written in the, the 1940s, first released in the 1950s. Uh, what I love about it is the story. The little drummer boy tells the story of a little boy, you may have guessed, with a drum, uh, who comes to see the newborn king uh, and has nothing to offer other than to play his drum for him. It's very actually specific. It says it's a newborn king. That's the, the point at which he arrives to play a drum for Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a newborn child, uh, but in my experience, and I have a few times now, uh, I, I just imagine this scenario playing out, right, where, where Mary and Joseph, they've just got the baby to sleep and they're coming with the baby Jesus. Maybe they've just, just laid him in the room with the straw and they're like, it's a bit scratchy, but he seems to be staying asleep. It's, it's all right. Uh, and then and this kid walks in. Uh, and he's got a drum around his neck. If you've got more than one child, you're familiar with this feeling, actually, of you've just got the baby to sleep. And you see a kid walk into the room holding something that is like, you know, the piano accordion. And it's like, no! Uh, and, 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 and he starts beating the drum to the newborn back. Like, that's not a happy situation. I don't care what the song represents today. That's insanity, which is why I love the song, simply for the madness of it. It's not a happy scene. It's never welcoming the birth of the sweet, let alone the, the cave, as we just heard, uh, where the baby's just been born. And yet, somehow, this is a great, uh, a favourite Christmas song. This has been produced 163 times, according to Wikipedia, um, by such wonderful names as Jimi Hendrix, Jessica Simpson, Johnny Cash, Ringo Starr, The Wheels, uh, the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, which is one of my favourite songs. <laughs> um, just to name a few, there's a lot of famous names on that list. Where am I going with this? Well, you may be depressed to know that some of that was just anecdotal, just fun. But uh, this December, we're going to hear Christmas through the voice of four songs. Uh, and, and you could well call these the original Christmas music. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, four people burst into these spontaneous songs of praise as the Christmas story plays out. And, and from these four songs, we hear the message of God's great plan working out in the incredible events of Christmas. Uh, and first we're going to look this week at the song of Mary. This is probably the most famous of the Christmas songs. It's also known as the Magnificat. Um, and, and I love Mary's song because... Uh, we're going to move on from it. This is going to happen. Um, I love Mary's song because it leads into a surprising encounter with God. We get to see what God is like in this song. And, and before we look at that, it's worth asking, what do you think God is like? Who, who do you think he's like, or who do you act like he's like? Maybe? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps you don't even think there is a God. Let's, let's not exclude that possibility. Uh, and so the question's a bit of a moot point in your mind. What does it matter who a person is if there isn't that person in the first place? Perhaps uh, you believe that there is a God that you think of him or even act towards him like he is distant, cold, even. Kind of just, just a great judge and nothing more. With a gavel that's waiting to come down on you. Perhaps you're the opposite. Perhaps you think that God is loving, that God is kind, but also that he's maybe inactive. You know, he's not the great big judge, he's the he's a personal friend, but only that. A beautiful father figure who offers good advice but leads us to ourselves essentially being unable to right the wrongs of the world. 
Mary's got a message for us today that gives us just this full-bodied, beautiful view of who God is. So in the, the Gospel of Luke, Mary's... A little, little bit of backstory here. Mary's just uh, received this message by an angel that she is going to bear the Son of God. And this baby is going to grow up to be the saviour that, no understatement, the whole Old Testament of the Bible looked forward to and foretold. Now that's understandably fairly big news. That's not my average Tuesday morning. And, and so Mary, she scoots off straight to see her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, previously, uh, she, Elizabeth has come up with the story, we'll talk about that in a sec, but, but she's got there probably to get input from Elizabeth, from someone who has a, a, a similar story, from someone who can have input on this situation, because Elizabeth, you see, uh, has also fallen miraculously pregnant in the story of Luke's Gospel. Uh, her baby will turn out to be John the Baptist. Now, she and her husband have fallen pregnant in significant old age. That's what's miraculous about her, so this isn't the Son of God. And they've been told by an angel that their baby will prepare the way for the Messiah. He will prepare the way for the saviour of the world. So Mary goes to her fellow miraculous baby bearer, and it's, it's, it's here that Mary bursts into this spontaneous song of praise to God. And when she does, uh, what she does in, in this song is she prophetically declares the nature of the God who is, who is at that very moment entering the world in the form of the baby who is in her womb. And, and, and what we get first is that God, as you may have guessed, is glorious. Mary sings these words. She opens us song like this. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Have you ever been so smitten that the world around seems to grow dim and the glory of, the, of, of what you're seeing just shines so brightly that everything else fades out. This happens differently for different people. For some people, uh, it's when you see that brand new shiny case ever. Some it's when you see the, the woman that you want to spend the rest of your life with, poor man. Some it's just walking into a room and realising someone's done the dishes for me. Um, <laughs> Whatever the, whatever the cause, you see something so glorious that it becomes magnified in your eyes. It fills up your mind. And you feel like you're brimming up with joy at the prospect of being near that thing or being near that person. Well, what Mary's having happened here is like that times 10,000. You see, Mary has had an encounter with the living God. And, and all she can conclude is that God is glorious. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. Her soul longs to dwell more on how excellent he is. Her spirit rejoices in him, literally brings joy to the depths of her soul. He fills her with joy. In fact, these first two lines act kind of like a bit of a, a, bit of a title for the rest of the song. And in the rest... Mary will tell us why God is so glorious in her eyes. Uh, first, she tells us next that God is good. She sings uh, in verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, we must say, Mary's experience is unique. 
Um, we are unlikely to be able to say that all generations will call us blessed because we have born the Son of God in our bellies. Uh, in fact, I, I would say 100% impossibility uh, that that's going to happen for any of us. But the character of the God that Mary is representing here isn't unique. Her experience of his character isn't unique. Um, for every Christian, fundamental to our experience of God is the fact that we have found that he is good to us. Like Mary says, he has done great things for me. I can testify to that. Many of us here can testify to that. I can say that he, I, I can say it as much as Mary can say it. When you know God, you discover one who is good to know, who expresses such goodness toward us in the person of Jesus, who will sacrifice greatly to show us his goodness to us. And he's not just good, but he's also great. And I don't mean great in kind of the one-upmanship from good sense. I mean great in the powerful sense. The Bible leaves no doubt about the might and power of God. Mary describes him as mighty and as holy there in verse 49. These are power words. The Bible describes him as the creator of everything. And not just that, the sustainer of everything. Every atom, every every electron and neutron, the things that are smaller than those that we don't quite know properly about, holds together because he sustains all of creation. We're not just dust because of God. We're not just nothing because of God. Every law of physics stands on his hands. This is the God of the Bible. He's great and mighty in ways that we can't comprehend. Now, now if you hear that on its own, you might tend to think of God as the distant, judging, angry figure that I mentioned earlier on. And, and, and that might reinforce your view, right? But Mary's not just saying that God is great in general, that he's cold, that he's distant, that he is king. She says, he has done great things for me. His greatness is expressed in love towards his people. God expresses his greatness in powerful love towards us. And that's such a powerful truth. We can have a real tendency as human beings to go through this life desperately trying to gain control or to maintain control. And when we, when we have control, we tend to become crazy trying to keep it. You know, you get super strict with your kids uh, because finally you've got things down uh, or, or you... Uh, sink your life into auditing and re-auditing your finances because they're under control and we want to keep them there. And when we lose control, when the disaster strikes, whether that be the big disasters of loss and grief, uh, or whether that just be the small daily disasters of, of lateness and panic that we all run into, and we realise that we were never really in control, we become desperate, we become depressed or destroyed because it feels so disempowering. But but when we know the God who is always in control and never loses grip for a second, who is always expressing his might in mercy towards his people, towards you, if you've trusted in him, then there is real freedom to live like no one else can live there. And that really brings us to the, the final point of what God is like. God is gracious. That means that what God does, he does for the good of his people. Mary's song shows God's grace 
working out in, in how he relates to different types of people, actually. Um, she says that he scatters the crowd, brings down the mighty, and sends away the rich empty. Now, that might not immediately strike you as gracious. <laughs> but the point is that God doesn't do this purposelessly. He does it because our greatness, sorry, our greatest need as human beings created by him is to live in relationship with the God who created us. Later in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is going to say that the poor, the hungry, the weeping are blessed. Not because those things are blessed or good, but because they are the ones who receive the kingdom of God. They're the ones who know their need of it and step in and trust Jesus. Those who know they have a need are the ones who find that need filled in God, Jesus. So when God breaks down our self-sufficient pride, he does it so that he so that we will stop taking worthless pride in worthless things and the little things of this world, and will instead start finding joy in the God who created it. When the mighty God brings down the mighty, it's so he can build them back up as his sons and daughters. Much, much better off than they ever were before in their own mind. When God makes the rich empty, he does it so that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. A fulfillment that will never end, as opposed to every other fulfillment we might see. But they're not the only people she thinks about, actually. Mary also says that God exalts the humble and fills the hungry with good things. God is invested in caring for the needy, caring for those who are the least, who others might not care for at all, sacrificing for them, in fact. And this is the reality of who God is still today, not just in Mary's day. He cares for people that other people don't care about. No one is beyond the love of God. It's just not a thing. Nobody is so far gone that his mercy and grace isn't still for them when they come back. You know, if you don't believe me, ask a Christian, right? Every Christian, every follower of Jesus, uh, they, they understand their situation correctly. They have encountered God, uh, the mercy of God, where we discovered that we aren't good enough that we're not enough, we don't deserve God's love, we're poor and needy and empty and reliant purely on mercy, and God pours out mercy and love, abundance, to those who know they need it. It's funny, the, the great God contradicts the, the image of greatness that we see in this world, you know, the, the image of a pope with a big hat on him, right? Uh, I don't know why I picked that one, but the hat's are great. Um, you know, the, the idea of, of splendour that holds itself above others, flattens pride by raising up the humble. Not only that, Mary sings of another way that, he, that, that, that we see that God is good. She says that God is faithful to his promises. She says that God has helped his servant Israel, the word she used there, because he remembers his mercy that he spoke to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's, it's funny. On the surface read of that, you might look at it and go, that seems a bit exclusive as far as the promise bring, to bring up goes to his servant Israel. I'm not an Israelite by, by descent. It's actually referencing this promise though made to Abraham, the, the great great granddaddy of the people of Israel, 
way back about a couple of thousand years before Jesus was born, when God promised that Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendant, one of them, would bless every family on earth. Every people group would be blessed through this one descendant. God would reach out to the points of the compass and bring in people to bless them. You know, there are there are two moments in history that that we see the glory, goodness, greatness, and grace of God more clearly, such with such incandescent brightness and clarity that it should really take our breath away every time we think about it. The first, probably the lesser of the two, is Christmas. Christmas displays God's goodness. On, on the backdrop of a dark history in which humanity seemed to have turned further and further away from God for thousands of years, Christmas God comes down to be with us with a, a, a clear declaration that God has intentions of good towards us. And not only that, is great. Christmas may not immediately appear so. The Christmas deck demonstrates the sovereign greatness of God. Thousands of years of history build up to Christmas. If you read the Old Testament, you find this moment foreshadowed and foreseen and prepared for, for by a hand that could only be the most powerful hand in all the universe. Uh, hundreds of times, every spot in the Old Testament really understood properly leads to this. That God is going to come and dwell with his people. That God will send the Messiah. He's always being looked forward to. And so this is a great expression of God's greatness that we see at Christmas, his power over all creation. And yet it also expresses his grace so beautifully because at Christmas God bends all of his greatness into the act of coming down as a baby for us the great God of all rolls himself for you our reaction should be the same as Mary's right? our souls should magnify him and rejoice in God our saviour if this is your first time in gospel church that part of the course sorry uh, <laughs> God is so clearly good, so clearly great, so clearly gracious when we look at Christmas. So we give him glory like Mary did. It's like seeing the sun peeking over the horizon for the first time after a long cold night. Feeling its warmth on your skin. Christmas should cause us to, to wonder. The second moment, of course, the greater one, when we see his glory, goodness, greatness, and graciousness came about 33 years later. And, and if that first moment was like the dawn of the sun, this is like the full noonday sun shining down on us. So powerfully do we see who God is here. When Jesus went and died on the cross, God showed goodness, the likes of which we will never find anywhere else. The cross guarantees to all who trust in Jesus that God is good toward us to the extent that he would die to secure our freedom. I don't find that goodness anywhere but in God. You can't find it. When, when Jesus went to the cross, God showed greatness, the likes of which we would never find elsewhere. Our greatest enemies were our own brokenness and sin, our spiritual enemies, Satan, 
and of course our death that we all face. And when uh, Jesus died, he conquered our enemies. He, he, he defeated sin by taking the full punishment for all of our sin. He defeated Satan by taking one claim over us in the form of our sin. And he defeated our death by the way the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is the result of sin. So if Jesus defeats your sin, he's defeated your death and only life forever with him. He's great. Like, like no one else is great. And he demonstrated his victory by walking out of the grave three days after. This is, this is a victory for anyone who is in Jesus, who trusts in Jesus. And because, um, because of that, it's an open invitation to anyone. And, and as a result of it, all of God's people can't help but like glory. Our God is glorious. He's magnifying because he is so great, so good, so gracious to us. The event that we celebrate at Christmas is, is the mighty God of the universe uh, orchestrated all of history. And the big message of the gospel of Christmas is that the, the promised saviour, the one who would bring all of the goodness of God and all of the greatness of God, who would in fact be a man who was fully God, was that baby growing in Mary. When Jesus came, he came to bring us back into a relationship with God. He came to reconcile people who were walking away from God, away from his love, back to him. He came to lower the proud and the mighty and to raise up the humble and the hungry by inviting all to come to him in faith and to be saved. Jesus is God's promises all fulfilled. So as we embark on this Christmas adventure together, let me ask you, is the God that Mary describes, the God that the Bible describes, in fact, who you thought God was? Not distant and cold, but caring and personal towards people. As we see in the fact that he came as a baby, he lowered himself humbly to reach us. Not just a giver of good advice, but a giver of life and fulfilment through Jesus. And let me ask, do, do you know him? Have you, have you come to Jesus and found relationship with God? Now, we were separated from God. But, but when Jesus came, and, and not just came, but chose to die as a sacrifice for our rebellion against God, the way was open to come back. Relationship with God was made possible by faith in Jesus. Finally, if you're a Christian here, do you see God as glorious, great, and gracious enough that you'll go and introduce someone to him this Christmas season? Now, do you cross the street to invite someone along to a Christmas service to hear about God who crossed the universe, who crossed the great divide that lay between us when Jesus came? Will you swallow your pride, let God crush your pride, and talk to someone about the God who came down to save them and save you? Christmas is such a beautiful time of good news. Because at Christmas we 
that prayer every single day. Show our hearts, Lord. Lord, whether we've never trusted in you before, and this is the day, and whether we have trusted in you for years, we pray that today we will see the, the greatness and the goodness and the grace of our God so powerfully by the power of your spirit at work in us that we cry glory. You are glorious, God, and we love you. So great is your love and care for us. So great is your might over everything. So great is your, your goodness. So Lord, bring faith, trust in your goodness, greatness, and grace in each of the hearts of today. Let's trust you more and more. Trust you more and more. Pray in the name of Jesus.